Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, welcome back. Now, today we're going to be talking all about what actually causes gestational diabetes and why you might have got it. Now, there's actually a number of different risk factors, so we'll talk through all of these and why they can make you more likely to develop GD. But if you're listening and you don't find yourself falling into any of these categories, we'll talk about that too, because I know that it can be almost an like a worse headspace when you feel like you're doing all of the right things and you don't have any of those other risk factors to then be landed with a diagnosis of GD can feel very confronting, overwhelming, and probably devastating. Um, It's not all bad news though to have GD as hopefully you've realized listening to some of these other episodes, like it's totally manageable and there's always some silver linings that we can find in there. But I know that getting that initial diagnosis can be really hard, whether or not you do have risk factors. So before we do get stuck into it all, I thought that it's probably worth a quick backpedal and refresher just to clarify a few things about the physiology of GD and how it all works inside your body, just to give a little bit more context. So essentially, during pregnancy, the hormones produced by the placenta which include things like progesterone and estrogen and some other ones called like human placental lactogen and growth hormone and prolactin, like there's a whole lot, they can interfere with your body's insulin function. So this, in a nutshell, creates an environment of insulin resistance. And further to this, pregnancy um, increases circulating triglycerides and that can make insulin resistance worse as well. And if we think about insulin... Insulin acts like a key which opens up locks on the cells to let sugar in. So when you've eaten something that's got carbohydrate in it, which is broken down into sugar in your body, then we need to be able to get that sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells. So places like your brain and your muscles and your liver, because the sugar can't really do us much good when it's just stuck in the blood. We need to be able to get it to where it needs to go. But it can't do that by itself. It needs something to come and open up the lock on the cells. And that's the job of insulin, which is the key. So essentially, when we've got all of this happening during pregnancy, when we've got these hormones circulating and we've got increased things like um, triglycerides circulating, then the lock is much harder to open. So it could be that the key is really faulty and it's not working properly and you need a whole bunch of different keys to eventually get one that works or the lock could be faulty. So it just keeps getting stuck and jammed. And again, you need to just keep trying different things and different ways of trying to open it to get it to finally unlock. Um, And then another thing that happens when your cells aren't actually getting that sugar, your liver can try and compensate by releasing more sugar into the bloodstream because it's not recognizing that it's already got enough because it's not getting to where it needs to go. So there's quite a few factors that really start working against you. And by late pregnancy, 
all women will experience a decrease in glucose sensitivity and a progressive rise in insulin resistance. And this coincides with the growth of your baby and the placenta and increased levels of all those hormones I mentioned, as well as weight gain. So those factors increase the insulin resistance as your pregnancy goes on. So the later into your pregnancy, the higher your blood sugar is likely to be. Now, normally an adaptation during pregnancy would be to increase your insulin secretion to keep up with the higher demand because there's all of these factors working against you. So our bodies are usually pretty smart and the pancreas, which is where insulin is released from, will basically make some changes so that more insulin is released. And that means that you would have a whole bunch of different keys to try to open those locks. So maybe some of the keys are faulty, but you've got enough to keep trying to get to the one that was going to work to open up that cell. And that's what happens in normal pregnancy. And it's also worth noting that generally during pregnancy, the body actually likes to keep blood sugar lower than when not pregnant. And this is one of the reasons why the targets are a bit stricter than if you know somebody who's got like type 2 diabetes and they have different blood sugar targets to you and yours are probably lower. Um, But anyway, normally the pancreas would compensate and it would increase the production of insulin two to three times above normal. So that's quite massive. That's producing double or triple the amount of insulin that you would normally need to when you're not pregnant. So it's like if the key was faulty, you've suddenly got heaps and heaps of different ones to try, like I said, because your body's working overtime. And how this happens um, is basically the beta cells, which are the cells that actually produce insulin, they increase in size and they multiply when we get pregnant. But for some people, this might not occur properly. So the body will be stuck without enough insulin to keep blood sugar levels at the level that they should be. So you don't have like all those other good keys to try. You've just got the same dodgy key for ages trying to get that lock open. And so the blood sugar is likely to stay higher for a bit longer because it's having much more trouble getting into the cells. So there's still, you know, unknowns about how all of these dots kind of join together and why some people's bodies are able to appropriately adapt during pregnancy and some people's don't. But let's talk through some of the known risk factors now. So having GD in a previous pregnancy, and I think this is kind of self-explanatory because if you did develop GD once, then it's likely that you had risk factors that you know led to that diagnosis. So you are more likely to get it again. And the recurrence rate is actually around 84%. So most people with GD in one pregnancy will get it again. That's pretty huge. One thing to note about this though, is that the research does note that the number, that high number, 84%, might actually be a bit confounded by people gaining weight in between their pregnancies and that hasn't been accounted for. And that's a risk factor within itself. And we'll talk about weight a little bit more down the track in this episode. So another risk factor that's really strong is having a family history of diabetes. So if your mum or your sister or somebody else close to you had GD, or if somebody in your family, again, like parents or siblings, has type 2 diabetes, then this would likely suggest that there is a genetic component that might be predisposing you to insulin resistance. 
or perhaps you all have like a similar environment and lifestyle habits which have contributed to a health status that might be more conducive to insulin resistance but it is definitely a really strong risk factor if there's somebody else in your family who has diabetes that that would increase the likelihood that you will be diagnosed next your ethnicity So there's quite a number of different backgrounds that have higher rates of GD. So, for example, South and East Asian populations, Indian, African, Filipino, Hispanic, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, Middle Eastern, like there's lots. I won't list every single ethnicity because it seems like there's quite a number that are associated with higher rates of GD. And so, again, there's likely differences in the genetic makeup at play there. Then we've got age. So the older you are, the more likely you are to develop GD. And if you are between 35 to 38 years old, your risk is increased 1.8 times. And then this increases again once you're over 40 to 2.4 times greater risk, which is quite a lot. Next, I want to talk about weight. And I think this is a really sensitive topic and I want to tread lightly, but I do think that it's worth talking about because we do have clear associations. So the research indicates that you are three times more likely to develop GD if your BMI is between 30 and 35 and four times more likely to develop GD if your BMI is between 35 and 40. And greater weight gain during pregnancy is also associated with increased risk. And this is perhaps to do with having more circulating triglycerides, which, like I said earlier, can exacerbate insulin resistance. And early weight gain in pregnancy seems to increase the risk the most. So before 22 weeks, I think is what the research was classifying that as. And that's perhaps because when you're gaining weight in those earlier stages, that's generally fat stores that you're gaining as opposed to like the actual baby and placenta and things like that, that take up that weight. So those sorts of things come later in the pregnancy, obviously. So if you were gaining more weight earlier, it's more likely to be fat stores. And then that in turn could then be elevating those triglycerides. And then that could be contributing to that insulin resistance, if that makes sense. So I think I'll do a whole episode on weight during and before pregnancy and post-pregnancy, because I think there's just, there's a lot to discuss there. And I want to make really clear that I'm not judging anybody and I'm not suggesting that, you know, it's easy to lose weight and get to a lower BMI and all that sort of stuff. And I also think that it would be really interesting to uh, like look properly at the nuance behind all of this, because sometimes when we do have research around weight and making these associations, I've usually got some question marks in my head around like, Or was it the weight or was it some of the behaviors that are associated with somebody who is in that body weight? Because we know that you can have a higher BMI and have a really healthy lifestyle or you can have a high BMI and you can have a not so healthy lifestyle. So I wonder if there's still the same association if somebody is in a larger body, but they are eating really well, exercising appropriately drinking enough water, not smoking, just living a healthy lifestyle. I wonder if that is associated with the same level of risk as somebody who isn't and is in a larger body. So I think it's really interesting to be able to actually look at what the association is rather than always just blaming it on weight itself. 
but interesting nonetheless. And like I said, I think that it's worth talking about and being aware of. Next, we've got PCOS and having PCOS is usually associated with underlying insulin resistance. But an interesting thing to note here is that in these studies, it was found that it actually might be more related to the weight, like I was talking about before, and other factors that could be, you know, going alongside that too. Because when the studies actually controlled for somebody's body weight and they just isolated PCOS as a risk factor, they found that the risk of GD was actually lower. So, you know, it could be a small risk associated with PCOS, but it's probably more likely to do with weight and lifestyle there. And if you yourself were born small for gestational age, that is a risk factor. You may or may not know that. And my speculation there, I haven't done you know, lots of research on this. So this is really just my thought process is that I wonder if you were born small for gestational age, that maybe your pancreas was underdeveloped. And so it wasn't able to make those adaptations effectively around those beta cells, which produce insulin multiplying and getting bigger to help with that insulin resistance state during pregnancy. Interesting one. Then we've got genetic variations, and I thought this was pretty interesting that there's actually been a little bit of research onto this specifically, and a couple of genes have been identified that seem to predispose people to getting GD, and there's some crossover there between genetic variants that are associated with type 2 diabetes as well, and maybe that's something that explains like if you have no risk factors on paper, that maybe something like that could be going on because you'll never really know that. It's not something that we would ever routinely test for to get your genetic sequencing. So you wouldn't really know if you've got a genetic variant that might predispose you to getting GD, but it's something that is a possible cause. And maybe it also helps explain ethnic differences. That would be really interesting to look into as well. Then there's some other like rare types of diabetes. So there's actually something called MODI, which is mature onset diabetes of the young. And I'm talking really rare. So this is like 2% of all diabetes diagnoses and 1% of GD cases have this subtype. But basically this is like a genetic variant where essentially your blood sugar just runs a bit higher than everybody else's. So you don't have like the same complications and things like that from having higher blood sugar. It's just like you've got a different set point for it, which yeah, like that could potentially explain some things for some people. But again, that's something that's not really ever routinely tested for. You'd have to get a genetic test. And so it's often misdiagnosed. You wouldn't probably know if you have it, but I just thought that was something I came across and was interesting enough to point out. And then there could be other random bits and pieces that maybe have occurred in your pregnancy that we don't necessarily attach to the GD diagnosis, but could play a role. And so there's things like gut health, and I've done a whole previous episode on the gut and GD. And what we do seem to know about gut health is that people with GD have quite a different microbiome to people who don't have GD. And we don't really have like consistency in terms of like how it's different and like there there aren't clear 
different colonies or species of bacteria living in the gut that are like the same for everybody with GD and the same for everybody without GD. We don't have like clear patterns identified or anything like that yet. We just know that it seems to be different. And again, we don't know if that is GD creating that difference or if it is the difference that is um, maybe leading to GD. So I just think that that's an interesting one, that it could be something along those lines or it could be something like vitamin D status. Like maybe you had low vitamin D early in pregnancy or before pregnancy. I'm not saying that caused GD, but maybe there's factors like that that we don't really think about as necessarily being tied to it, but could be could be a multitude of things all like leading to this diagnosis. And for some people, we really just don't know, which is just really frustrating to hear when you're like, why? But I just think there's still so many unknowns and so many of those little bits and pieces that could be contributing. And then we've got the other things that I have to mention. So we've got your diet and You know, if you were paying attention to your diet months or years before your pregnancy, then potentially you would be less likely to develop GD because you would be able to reduce your risk of insulin resistance. Again, we've got to take into consideration things like genetic factors that might just predispose you and you can't really modify it too much with your lifestyle. But if you are eating a really nice, well-balanced diet and basically eating in a similar way to how you would with GD, then you are maybe less likely to develop it. And physical activity, doing regular physical activity is also really beneficial in reducing your risk. So I highly recommend that too. And that's really probably not news to anybody. I'm not saying that you caused gestational diabetes by eating in a particular way. And if you're somebody who's just been relying on all the carbs and stuff like that during your first trimester, then please don't beat yourself up and be thinking you caused GD because you weren't eating well enough. That's absolutely not what I'm suggesting. I'm talking about like chronic consumption. So we're talking about your dietary patterns over time and over a long period of time. And so if you're somebody that hasn't ever really paid attention to it and you rely on lots of convenience foods and heavily processed foods and things like that and never move your body, potentially that is putting you at a greater risk of GD. Again, I'm not saying it caused it, but it could play a role. But if you're somebody who does pay reasonable attention to your diet and lifestyle and you move your body regularly and maybe you're not perfect all the time, but you do your best, then I wouldn't have thought that your diet is the reason and those little imperfect moments is the reason to, you know, cause GD. But looking after your lifestyle in general is a really helpful thing. So I wanted this episode to give you a clearer understanding of what actually goes on in your body when you develop GD and just help you understand your place in it all. And I want to highlight that most of the risk factors I just talked about are not modifiable. Like you can't change your genetics, you can't change your ethnicity, you can't change your age, you can't change how many other kids you have and whether you had GD beforehand or not, and you can't change whether you have PCOS. Like there's a lot here that is really beyond your control. And I would also argue to some extent for some people, you can't change your weight. Like everybody's got different circumstances and different abilities there too. So that's something as well to consider. Like it's really not as easy as someone telling you to just eat healthy and lose weight, right? 
And of course, you never would have done anything to deliberately have developed GD. It sucks and it's a big challenge and it can feel really devastating at the time. But what matters more is how you handle the diagnosis and that you start taking steps to get the best outcomes possible for you and your bub both during your pregnancy and in the longer term. And I always say, and why this podcast is called the Gestational Diabetes Club, you know, no one really wants to be in this club, (laughs) but once you're in here, the people are pretty amazing and we talk about some pretty amazing stuff and you have this unique opportunity to make that health kick that maybe you've been putting off for ages and to really make a positive change in your life that can be with you forever and to help you be an incredible role model for your new family. Now, pregnancy is often talked about as the ultimate stress test anyway, and so it's almost like a warning sign for things that might show up later in your life. So in some ways, it can also just be helpful. It doesn't feel helpful, but it can be helpful getting GD and knowing that you have potentially got metabolic risks down the track so you can start doing something about it earlier. And going back to what I keep talking about, you know, that means optimizing your diet doing appropriate physical activity and aiming to maintain a healthy weight in between your pregnancies and post-pregnancy as well. Like I said, that can be easier said than done. I just want to acknowledge that. And I also want to acknowledge that it can be really hard to know where to start and how to actually maintain your progress. So please know that support is always beneficial and it is available. Like one of my coaching programs might be helpful for you if you are in a situation where you are hoping to prevent a diagnosis of GD. If you have GD at the moment, Or if you've had your baby and you really want to reduce your risk of developing those complications like type 2 diabetes, like I'm so happy to support you anywhere you are in your journey. And we can really focus on making sure that your diet and your lifestyle is as good as it can be in the circumstances that you have to make sure that you're doing the best thing by yourself and by your family in terms of making sure your health stays great, reducing your risk of those diseases and being able to live a long, healthy, happy life as an incredible role model for your little family. But that is it from me. If you would like to hear more about my coaching programs, then please, by all means, get in touch. There is a link in my Instagram bio for a discovery call where we can talk a little bit more about what I do offer and whether it's right for you. And my Instagram handle is at nutrition.by.helena. I'm also very happy to talk in my DMs there if you want to send me a message. But that is everything. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and a review. It really helps the podcast reach other people like you who might benefit from it. But I'll leave it there. And we will speak soon. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.